114 messages into the book of Joshua. And we are in Joshua 19, so we are picking up the pace. We're going to get ready to rock and roll through this thing. Um, so before the Lord comes back, hopefully we will finish the book of Joshua. <laughs> we, we shall see. We shall see. Um, but last week we were in a message that we had, which was called um, From Darkness to Light. And in that, uh, we were examining, we were in Joshua chapter 19, and what we were doing is we were examining the tribe of Zebulun. And in doing so, what we did was we kind of looked at Zebulun the man. We looked at kind of who he was and kind of where it was that he came from. Then we looked at his descendants and ultimately what would, would be their story. And what we found was sadly a, a very complex tale, one that was a picture of betrayal, restoration. We saw unfaithfulness. We saw rebellion. And we ultimately saw that would lead to their, their destruction. So it was a dark tale for the tribe of Zebulun, but what was also really, really cool was how God showed us through the prophecies about Zebulun, how that God would bring light out of darkness. There was land that was entrusted to them, which is in, your, in, your, uh, in Joshua chapter 19. And what was interesting was that land, the land of Zebulun, would be the place where God would bring light into the world. The earth had fallen into about a 400-year period of spiritual darkness. And then what happened was there was a place called Nazareth, which just happened to be in the tribal land of the land of Zebulun, where God brought the Messiah, the light of the world. And he came for the purpose of bringing hope to the hopeless, to heal the sick, right? To give sight to the blind, to, to bring spiritual light into darkness and salvation to the world. And here we saw this amazing picture of brokenness and also restoration through this story of Zebulun. It took 600 years for this to take place, but boy, it was amazing to see. And then we correlated their story to our story, understanding the fact that, hey, look, there was a time in our life when we were in the darkness. There was a time in their life when we were a failure in the eyes of God, but because of his light and his love, he brought us out of darkness and into the light. And then like Zebulun, what happened was they became a pathway for the light to come to the world and see what God intends for us. The same thing. Our life, which used to be a source of darkness, becomes a pathway that the light, the Word of God, the truth of Christ, comes out of where we were in the darkness. And now what happens is our life is able to speak into those that are struggling, those that are in the darkness. The testimony of our life becomes the light and the love of Christ. And that's the whole goal. So we see this really cool correlation between their story and our story. And then what we're going to do today is we're going to pick up with another tribe. And just like every other tribe, they have an interesting story linked to them as well. Today will be the tribe of Issachar. And as we look into their story, we find out kind of who they are and where they come from. It's going to prompt us with a question, which is this. Whose servant are you? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the gift of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for working in my heart through the week and, Lord, helping me to see what it is you wanted us to receive. And I do pray, God, you know, I know you've spoken to me. I'm asking you, Lord, that now you would speak through me. I do not want to be heard. I don't want to be important, Lord. I would, if I could vanish, I would. But, Lord, my job is to be here to give this. And, Lord, I just pray that you would remove the human element. And, Lord, help me to share, God, what it is your Word has for us. God, thank you for today. I pray for each one. Help us to have ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Joshua chapter 19, verses 17 through 23. And you can just look at your map or look at the map on the screen if you like. I'm going to read you the parameters of their property. It says, And the fourth lot came out to Issachar for the children of Issachar, according to their families. And their border was, uh, and you guys know I'm going to butcher these names, but bear with me. Uh, we're toward Jezreel and Chesaloth and Shunem and Hepharam and Shion and 
Anaharath, and Rabbath, Rithically Rabbit, um, Kishion, and Abez, and Remeth, and Inganim, and Inhadah, and Beth Pezez, and the coast. Uh, and the coast region to, to Tabor and Shazamah and Beth Shemesh and the outgoings of their border were at, were at Jordan, 16 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar, according to their families, the cities and their villages. So looking at our map, what we see is their inheritance of Issachar is interesting because it actually has to their north, you'll see the tribes of Zebulun and you also see the tribes of uh, the tribe of Naphtali. Their southern border is going to be with Manasseh, the, the western part, this is the part that's in in the Jordan or in the in Canaan, and then their eastern border is going to be the Jordan River. So they are in a really, really good place. They have very fertile ground. They are surrounded by very close friends. And what we're going to see as we study is we're going to see a really interesting connection between Manasseh, and you'll see also, or not between Manasseh, but between Zebulun, Naphtali, and Issachar. And there's kind of this thread that ties the three of them together for whatever reason, a bit of the three amigos as we go on. But there's also recognizing the, the, the fertility of this land, the good piece of land that they're given. What we're going to see as we look into their story is the goodness of the land is actually going to be a part a part of their story. But what we're going to do, let's look first of all what we know about Issachar as an individual. Issachar is the ninth born son of Jacob. And Jacob's ninth born son, he is also, his mother, just like Zebulun, is Leah. And what's interesting is we looked extensively, and we have for the last few weeks, at the dynamics of this family. We have seen a tremendous amount of dysfunction between Jacob and his children and his spouses. We've seen there's, there's anger, there's jealousy, there's hatred. So there is some dysfunctional issues. There's some an emotional rift taking place in the family. So this is kind of, we've got to remember, this is the environment that Issachar is raised in as a young man. So we know that that's probably a component. But we don't have a lot about who he really was. We don't have a lot about his story. Um, but what we do have is Jacob's blessing. Uh, from his deathbed in Genesis 49. And what this does is this is going to be prophetically speaking about certainly Issachar, but also speaking about Issachar's descendants. This is not just a, 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 a thing that's short-term. This is actually a prophetic uh, projection in the stead, on the, the tribe of Issachar. So G Genesis 49, verses 14 and 15. It says, Issachar is a strong ass, couching bound down between two burdens. Now, when we see that thing, that, that the burdens, burdens can be translated. There's several things the way it can be translated. One of the burdens can be actually just something that's going to be carried, something that's a weight. But interestingly enough, there's also one in there that actually talks about the term burden being used almost for like a, uh, a sheepfold or a gate or something like that. So it almost can be pieces of property. So maybe couched down between two pieces of property. Then verse 15 says this, And he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. So we see Issachar being referenced as a strong ass. Now if I called you a strong ass... I doubt many of you guys are going to go, man, thank you so much. I feel like you're encouraging me. No, you probably would take it as a slight, right? Because what happens with us, we don't understand. In the old English, an ass is nothing more than a donkey. This is the term for a donkey. It is a beast of burden. What we find about them is as they show up in Scripture. They have jobs. Their job mainly is to carry things or to actually carry people. We find that they are the major source of transport, as you read in the Old and the New Testament. So as we read through this, we go, okay. So we start to understand that this, this, this ass has a, has a specific purpose. And what's interesting, it shows up, I think, 76 different times, all the verses that they're in. And I went and read all of those. But what was interesting that I noticed is they tend to show up in very key moments in Scripture. 
interestingly enough, if we go back to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis 22 is one of the most amazing prophetic pictures of the coming of the Lord. We see Abraham, the father, right, bringing his son, his only begotten son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah where he is going to sacrifice him. And interestingly enough, guess who just happens to be there in this amazing moment? Genesis 22, 3. It says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. So we see the ass is there. Then we think about this. Consider whenever Balaam was being tempted to curse, right? He was going to curse God's people. He was a man of God. And as he was cursed to go get a paycheck through cursing them, he actually was stopped on the road. An angel showed up with a flaming sword, and the ass that Balaam was riding reacted to it, could see what was going on. He was smacking and beating the, go, go, go. And eventually the ass speaks to him. And that ass talks, and this, this female ass basically saves his life. Numbers twenty-two thirty-three. it says this, And the ass, as the angel says, he says, Since the ass saw me and turned from me these three times, unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her life. Then you think about Samson. What did Samson use to slay a thousand Philistines? He took the jawbone of an ass, Judges 15, 15, and he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. We go to Matthew, we go to Luke, and we go to John. We see a reference of when Jesus Christ is being entered into Jerusalem. When he is coming as the king, guess who brings him in? Y'all don't want to say the word. It's okay. I'll say it. An ass. <laughs> Matthew 21, verses 1 through 5. It says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, the king, notice capitalized king, Cat, the king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. God has used the humble ass as a vehicle for his will to be accomplished throughout Scripture and throughout time. And so when we see Issachar being referenced in this way, it's not a slight. It is, in fact, it is a positive. It is referencing a willingness to work, right? But it leads us to our first point, which is this, that Issachar was servants. The tribe of Issachar were servants of God. Now, if we look into Issachar's story as a tribe, what's interesting is right off the bat, if, we, if you pay attention to these little details, what we find is when you get to Judges chapter number 1, Judges 1 lists a whole bunch of the tribes that did not do what God told them. It lists those that did not drive out the inhabitants. Interestingly enough, Issachar is not in this list, not mentioned at all. So we can assume that Issachar actually started out right and did what it was supposed to do as a body starting out on the right foot. Now, because they are human like us, guess what? They falter just like we do. Has anyone ever faltered before? Okay, just a couple of us. That's sad to say. But the rest, all you awesome people, we'll hang out with you later and get some advice. But 25 years after Joshua's death, another generation comes along, and guess what? They fail. And this, the Bible says in Judges 2, verse 11, it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They were drawn into idolatry. And this is the entry point 
into the book of Judges. Okay? So what happens? Because of their failure, God is going to allow them to fall into captivity. They'll fall into slavery. They'll fall into bondage. And what will happen is God will lift up or raise up an individual out of Israel that will become a judge or a military leader that will then bring them out of that. Now, as this whole process takes place, it is a, a beautiful example of God's faithfulness. It's a beautiful example of God's forgiveness, of his patience with humanity as we see this cycle. Now, there's 12 judges ending with Samson. But what we find is the fact that, man, that image or that example of forgiveness and that example of, of patience is something that you and I get to experience today. Right? The same way he gave them chance after chance after chance after chance. Is anybody else here thankful for that? Yes. Man, oh man. God, God faithfully gives us opportunity after opportunity. And I'm going to run through the judges real quick just so you'll hear their names. We have the first judge, Othniel, then Ehud, then Shamgar. Then we see Deborah. We're going to come back to her. We see Gideon. We see Tola. Tola, interesting enough, is from the tribe of Issachar. We see Jair. We see Jephthah. We see Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, as I said before, Samson. And the one that I want to take note of is not going to be Tola, the, who's an Issachar. Issacharian. I don't know how you say that. Anyway, from Issachar. We're actually going to look at Deborah because Deborah's story kind of tells us something interesting about Issachar. What's interesting about Issachar, now what's interesting about Deborah is not just the fact that she is a military, a judge, and a leader, and she is a woman. This is highly, highly unusual, right? But that's not what's important about the story for us. What's important is the fact that when it came to the support that she would need in order to bring the defeat or or to, to conquer the Amalekites, which is who they were going to face, what's interesting is... Not all 12 tribes showed up. Not everybody was supportive of Deborah being the leader. There were six that showed Six, sorry. <laughs> not good at math. Um, there were six that showed up, and there were six that did not show up. Now, of those that did show up, interestingly enough, we have Ephraim, Benjamin, Western Manasseh. Then here we go, Zebulun, Naphtali, and Issachar. Again, those guys showing up. And we notice this is in Judges chapter number 4 and chapter number 5, if you want to sort of understand what's going on. But they were trusting the fact that, you know, though they did not necessarily agree with the idea perhaps that it was a woman, they knew because it was God's will that they were going to do whatever God said. No, we don't have to agree that we just know if it's God's will, we're going to support it. So these guys did. But there were four tribes that specifically, because when you go to Judges chapter number 5, it's, a, it's called the Song of Deborah. And basically what it does, she's kind of calling out those guys that, were not, that didn't show up. And she calls out Reuben and Gad and Asher and Dan. Reuben, she's like, oh, you just want to stay back and listen to the bleeding of your sheep. I see. You were too busy, huh? Couldn't come. How about Asher? You're out on your boats having fun, right? She's kind of laying into them a little bit. Now, there's no mention of of, of Judah or Simeon. But what we do know in this is it gives us a glimpse into Issachar. It shows that they were willing to, to trust and follow God and go against perhaps what was tradition. And so this is something that's important for us to hear. Because there are a lot of people that get hung up on tradition, right? People get hung up on church rules or the standards of men. Now, what was the problem with the, uh, with the, the Mishnah, which was the oral law that was given to the Jews? Well, there was a whole lot of rules that, came up, that were come up with by the rabbis. And those 600-some rules were carried on. They went from being an oral law to being a written law. And today, if you were going to go into speak to a rabbi, guess what? They hold the Torah and the Mishnah almost on equal ground. But these are a bunch of rules of men. And so they get caught up, unfortunately, in the rules of religion. And this is what happens to people in church. 
People get more concerned about what the church traditionally does than what the Bible says. People will be more concerned with fulfilling and making the pastor happy than they are in doing what the Bible specifically says. So those, what we see in Issachar is the fact that, listen, they're saying, listen, we don't care about tradition. We are going to trust and do what God says. Can I promise you, listen, God is not concerned with whether or not we maintain the rules of men unless they're grounded in God's word. But he is very, very concerned that we maintain the rules, the rules of God. Understand, we are to be ruled by doctrine. This church, Hope Baptist Church, has one lead, and it is the doctrine of God. You do not serve the pastor. You serve God as I serve, the past, as I serve God. And so that's the whole goal, right? We're not here to serve, right, uh, some man or some rules or some uh, belief of what it, or a, or a, do, or a, uh, what is, a devo, uh, what's it, denomination. No. We serve the one true God, and we allow the Word of God to be the thing that is the guide. So if I ever give you advice about something and you cannot validate it in Scripture, please disregard it. Just do not listen to it because it has to be grounded in the truth. Notice Colossians 3.23 and 24 says this, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And notice this next part, and not unto men. Not unto men. Verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You do not serve man. We serve God. Notice what Paul said, right? When Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, Be ye followers of me. Listen, it says, Even as I also am of Christ. He says, You follow me as long as I'm following him. But if I'm not following him, do not follow me. That is that is the goal. So the tribe of Iskar and the other five of their brethren were committed to that truth. And we should be as well. Not worried about what people think, but ultimately only worried about what God thinks. Because I can tell you, if God's pleased, you're in good shape. Don't worry. If I'm upset at you, but it's an ungodly man, Joe, you disregard it. Don't worry about it. Not that I'm upset at you, because I love all you guys, but you know, anyway. But... <laughs> As we advance through time, what's interesting is we start to work our way into Issachar's story. What we find is that we see them show up in the beginning in 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter number 7 refers to Issachar and tells us that they had mighty warriors. It tells us they have a, 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 a force of about 22,600 men. But what we find is we go a little bit further into the book of 1 Chronicles. We get to chapter number 12. And this is really interesting. Because what's happening now is sort of things are coming together for King David. Okay? This is around the time where Saul has died. Now we've got about seven years of division where David was the king of Judah. And then Judah and Israel were still split. But what's going to happen is after that seven years, the whole country is going to come together. Here's where it gets united. And David is going to be appointed or set as, as the king. And then what we'll see during this time is all the tribes are going to send representatives to basically uh, put David in the, as the, in the rightful role or as the rightful king of a united Israel. And so what we'll see is as these tribes all begin to show up to celebrate, many of the tribes, actually all but one, are going to send representatives. They're going to send a specific number of people to go be the representatives of this celebration, the coronation of David, except for Issachar. What we see with Issachar is they all show up. Notice this. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And of the children of Israel of Issachar, 
which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, so all of their leadership and all their brethren were at their commandment, all of them. Every other tribe sends a portion of the people as representatives, but Issachar shows up in force, displaying that they are absolutely unified in their support of David as God's anointed. But what also is interesting in that verse that we just read in 1 Chronicles 12 is the fact that they get another little detail about Issachar. In verse 12:32, it says this, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Meaning they were wise men, they were discerning men, they had understanding. So here we see the tribe is not only committed to God's will, but also committed to God's word. Their desire is to walk in the truth. And can I tell you, you cannot be fully committed to God and not be fully committed to God's word. There are people, I'm going to say that again, because there are a lot of people that say, man, I love God with all my heart. But I'm telling you, they don't love that word. Oh, I can't read the Bible. I just go to church. I just listen to, I listen to this. Listen, I love Christian music. This Bible is God. This is His Word. This is His heart. This is His mind. And if you say, listen, I love God with all my heart, but you don't love this Word, you can't. It just doesn't work that way. That's like me telling you, I love my wife, but I hate the sound of her voice. I just don't want to hear her talk. Hey, woman, please. Oh, gosh. Whew. Yeah, just stand up there and look good. What kind of relationship would that be? Right? But that's people with this. This is God's word, man. This is how he speaks to our hearts. If you don't have ears to hear that, guess what? You really don't love God. Because the reason I, the way I show my wife I love her is I listen to her. When she speaks, guess what? I got ears to hear. That wasn't always the case. You guys, a lot of you guys know our story. Our marriage was almost destroyed. You know what it was? It was my stupidity. I did not have ears to hear. I believed I was listening, but I was fooling myself. But the cool thing is, man, when you get ears to hear, boy, your relationship just gets so beautiful, so rich, so powerful, and so godly. And man, oh man, I'm so thankful that she was patient enough to teach me how to listen so that I could hear her voice. But man, I'm telling you, if you're not hearing this voice and you're not going to the Word of God, man, give it your heart. Listen. God will speak to you. And the coolest thing is, as he does, your relationship with him will get more rich, more beautiful, more sweet. It's awesome. Anyway, okay, where am I? I don't even know where I'm at. That's not, none of that stuff was in my notes, but let's just see. Okay, um, okay so they showed up. Display their unification or their unified support of David as the anointed, right? And did we catch that part right there about their following? Yeah, okay, I've already done all that part. Good, we're good, good. You guys are caught up to speed. Perfect. <laughs> So, so they're committed to his word, right? And that whole goal, right? As, as I was, I, one of my point I was trying to make was this. We cannot be committed to the Lord if we're not committed to his word. And that's absolutely key. The next thing we'll learn about them is actually the fact that the Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, were servants of God's people. Notice this. We go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 40. It says, Moreover, they that were nigh them, even unto, notice Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali, the three amigos, brought bread on asses, and on camels, and on mules, and on oxen, and meat, and meal, and cakes of figs, and bunches of raisins, and wine, and oil, and oxen, and sheep abundantly. For there was joy in Israel. Man, they're having a party. And guess who's bringing the supplies? Those three show up. Again, serving alongside one another. Serving. They're making provisions for their brethren. They're making provisions for them. And notice this. 
in honoring and providing for their brethren, they are in fact honoring and providing for their king, right? It's in celebration of him. And what's cool is we go back and we look at what's going on, right? So that was verse 40. We're going to jump up to verses 38 and 39, sort of prepping us for what's going on. 38 and 39 says, And all these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. And there they were with David three days, eating and drinking for their brethren had prepared for them. Their brethren had prepared for them. And guess who's in there? Issachar. Again, a strong ass willing to serve. And do you realize that when we serve others, we are in fact serving our king? This is a biblical principle that God teaches us. John 13, 34 and 35, the Lord says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Notice, by this, okay? They're going to know who you are. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. They're going to know that you're honoring God if ye have love one to another. We can see that the people of Issachar, listen, they had servants' hearts. And we can see that this is what God intends for us as well. We're supposed to have servants' hearts. Listen to the exhortation in Mark 10, verses 44 through 45. The Lord says this, And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Can I tell you that is the ultimate, ultimate act of service? Jesus defines it for us in John 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Here he goes. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. The greatest service we could offer is a willingness to give up our lives. Maybe physically. But you know what? A lot of times it's just giving up of ourselves, our own selfish desires in order to serve someone else. Because we're selfish by nature. If you were unaware of that, we are. <laughs> Driven by love for our Father and our fellow man, we should be seeking ways that we can serve others. And here's the thing. If we were to follow you with a camera for the last week, okay? Let's imagine we had a, uh, a drone or whatever. GoPro. Whatever. Sure. We had a camera. And it tracked you everywhere you went, every interaction you had, every person you spoke with, every person you drove by or was in traffic with. And we filmed the way you interacted with all those people. And we stepped back and we said, okay, let's go through the footage. Let's see how we did. And if we were playing this footage, would we see you putting others before yourself? Would we see you serving others? Or in the last week? Would you be putting yourself first? And would you be focused on serving you? Only you know the answer. Well, God knows, but I don't. But if we, if we did that, right? Because remember, our priorities are supposed to be like this. Jesus, others, yourself, right? The acronym of joy. Jesus, others, yourself, right? Joy. That's who we're supposed to be. And so as we consider what we know about Issachar as a man and as a tribe, we can see a pattern of service. Service unto God, no doubt. Service unto others, no doubt. But what's interesting about Issachar is Issachar is one of the tribes that will vanish into history because of disobedience to God. 
they will become one of the tw- one of the ten of the northern tribes that are called the, the house of the lost, the lost sheep of the house of the tribe of Israel. They disappear. They vanish, and it's because of disobedience. And this is, we're going to see kind of how that happens. Let's see this. First, our third point is this. this they were servants of themselves. So how did that end up being their story, considering how they started? All right, let's take a look. We can look into the blessing from, from Jacob. It gives us an indicator. So Issachar is a strong ass, couched down, between two burdens, okay? So willing to work, willing to serve, having the strength to do so, perhaps starting out on the right foot. But look at 15. And he saw that rest was good and that the land, it was pleasant and bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant under tribute. Tribute is slavery. Interesting. So this prophetic, prophetic blessing gives us a picture of perhaps Issachar starting outright, willing to work, willing to do what was right. But then you realize there's a part where it says, and then he saw. Right? It says, and he saw that rest was good. And ain't, it ain't rest good. When you're, man, you just, some days you just like, man, I'm just going to, that couch, bruh. That new blanket. Oh, man pillow on the couch, put on a movie I've seen before, man, this is, this is good, man. Rest is good. And you know what's amazing? Rest can be so good that it can become people's pursuit of their life. You ever heard people say, working for the weekend? They're just trying to survive, to get to rest. They got a, a, a vacation planned 11 months away. Every day. I'm checking off every day. <laughs> oh, the beach is coming. I know it is. Oh, I can't wait to rest. Oh, just survive. Because rest is coming. Right? It can become our pursuit. Scary. And what we see with Issachar, man, he saw. He saw that it was good, man. He saw it was good. And what's amazing is the fact that this, this, it can be so all-encompassing that it can take us off mission. And where we know we should be, we go, you know, but I'm just, I'm just tired, man. Does the Bible say anything about having that kind of heart? New Testament gives a very specific reference in 2 Timothy 3, 4. Speaking of the last days, we hear this talking about the men of, the, of that time, of this time that we live in right now, says that they would be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. As I pointed out to you before, it does not say that they don't love God. It says that they do love God, but they love pleasures more than they love God. And that's the problem. So what happens is when our eyes get on the world, guess what happens? We tend to lose sight of what it is we're supposed to be doing. What we see is the fact that Issachar embraces rest, but not just rest, also embraces the world. It says this, and the land, so saw that rest was good, but also saw that the land, it was pleasant. Ooh, look how nice it is outside. You know what? I know I should spend some time in the Word, but man, you know, I just want to be, go for a walk. I just want to get a little bit of fresh air. I deserve that, don't I? Hello? I can take the time. What happens? Can I tell you, the, the world is going to offer us things, 
And I'm telling you, they're going to be attractive. I can promise you they're going to be attractive. They're going to be incredibly attractive. The Bible says that the devil can appear as an angel of light. So I can promise you, if, the, if he's trying to get our attention, try to lure us, oh, he will give us all kinds of things that will lure our flesh, that can captivate our attention and get our hearts focused, not on him, but on the world. And so Issachar's prophecy about him says that he saw, he saw, he saw. Now, if we go to 1 John 2, verse 16, it says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, our desires, notice this one, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, these three things we can track all the way back to Eve in the garden. Lust of the flesh, oh man, that looks, I want that. Lust of the eyes, oh, it, it was a fruit to make, it, it looked good, right? And then, it says that, and then it says that it would make one wise. Guess what that is? The pride of life. And so we can track it all the way through, and the warning is to you and I. And one of the things we've got to worry about is our eyes, the things that we see. And when we shift our eyes off of God and onto the world, can I promise you we're on a dangerous, dangerous path. We're heading for destruction. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 21 says this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust okay, and enticed. Verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James is warning us, warning us, make sure that what you desire is actually godly. Make sure what you're desiring is actually godly. Notice what verse 16 says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't miss that. What looks good is not always good. Make sure it's God. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Okay, So if it is truly good, it is from God, and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither, neither shadow of turning. What he's saying is, guess what? What God, what was good in the beginning is going to stay good if it's from God. But a lot of things that come into your life that look good in the beginning, guess what they turn out to be? A nightmare. You ever met anybody like that? Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Circumstances, situations. You go, man, this looks so good. And we bite. And then we find out, man, there's a big hook in that. Yeah. Ouch. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to stay on the hook. Sometimes the fish gets off, but you know what it always leaves behind? A scar. You always look back. Man, that was a bad decision. Yeah. So we got to be wise. Unlike those that look good, man, God's decisions are truthful. They're real. This is why we pray over our decisions, right? This is why we pray over our decisions. This is why we seek the Lord's face before we do anything. Why are we in such heavy prayer about the building? Because, listen, we don't want what we want. We want God wants. I can tell you what I think is the best idea. Great, but who cares what I think? If it's not of God, it's going to be destruction. So if we say, listen, Lord, we want you to be in charge. Your will be done. We just want to follow your leading. That's what the Bible talks about. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because there are spirits that are not of God in this world. I can tell you, actively working right now, trying to get our attention, even as I am talking. Trying to draw our attention. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. Verse 18, he says this, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's saying your life needs to be an example to those that are watching you. Your life's supposed to make a difference. Verse, four, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
swift to hear. Now that's certainly talking about talking to people, but guess what? This is also, look at the reference here. This is talking about hearing from God. Swift to hear. Have ears to hear God's word. Why does Jesus continue to say, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear? Because guess what? We can sit and hear, listen. We can hear things and not listen to them. So listen, we need to have ears to hear God, recognizing we're recognizing his voice and not the devil whispering in a voice that sounds very attractive, telling us what we want to hear many times. And also, listen, making spiritual decisions instead of emotional ones. Because notice what it says. Quick to, it says, quick to hear, slow to speak, and then slow to wrath. Emotion. Emotion. Guess what? And then it says that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you make decisions that are, God, that are not spirit-led, they are emotionally led, they will be bad decisions. They always, always are. Verse 20, or verse 21 says this, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, which superfluity means abundance, abundance of naughtiness, wickedness, and receive with meekness, meekness, listen, with the, the, the engrafted word, okay? So listen, we've got to be willing to hear the word of God, which is able to save our souls. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 17. The thing is, if you want to hear God, you want to truly hear him, and this word is where he'll speak to you. Yes. You don't have to stand out in the street and be like, God, talk to me, please, I'm waiting. <laughs> He's going, hello, I wrote it all down. Just go over there. And the spirit that's inside will guide you through this book, and I'll show you what I need you to hear. I've given you all the wisdom that you need. For see, if we don't stay close to the Lord, and if we don't stay sensitive to His leading and surrender to His service, well, then we'll start to serve ourselves. And this is what happened to Issachar. This is their story. And I'd like to tell you that it was a rare occurrence for people to start out good and finish poorly. But sadly, it is the norm more than it is. It's amazing how many people get started. I can tell you in my years of ministry, I've watched countless people, man. God saves their soul. And dude, they're excited. They're fired up. They're ready to go, man. They're hungry and on fire. And you know what? They're reading their Bible. They're praying. They're asking questions. They want to learn. They want to be involved in discipleship. They're in church. They show up early and they stay late. Those, man, oh man, they're on fire. And then what happens is life starts to just get a little more hectic than it was before. And they start to feel a little stress. And then there's a little voice that whispers to them and says, <clears throat> Listen, <laughs> you're committed, yes. But you can afford to not be so much, such a zealot. God would understand. Take a little time. You know what? I know they want you to be involved in this and that, and you feel compelled to do it, but listen, God understands. You need a little bit of me time. You need to take a little break. You don't want to burn out. And then you know what? There will be people in your life that will come along and go, that's true. That's true. Man, you don't want to burn out. You do need some time. In fact, we're going this weekend to the beach. Why don't you come with us? You need a little downtime. Well, I know, but I committed. I do. Yeah, I know, but it's not that important. Yeah, you're right. And what happens, just little areas of compromise. And we start to say, you know what? God's not as important as I, as I had. I placed him in it. It was unrealistic what I was trying to do, live for God. I, I, I need to be a realist. Everything in moderation. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. Everything in moderation. That certainly applies to God as well. So why don't I live, live that way? God knows I'm tired. 
and I deserve a little bit of rest. Because you know what he saw? Rest was good. Man, he saw that rest was good and the land was pleasant. And woo, I could work and serve God or I could serve me. Hmm, which one sounds better to my flesh? Right? Our flesh loves a lot of me time. It wants to be fulfilled. And every day it wakes up hungry. That's why God warns us. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Because guess what? If you don't, your flesh will take hold and it will lead you. And before you know it, you used to serve God. Before you know it, you used to be a witness. Before you know it, you used to read the Bible. Before you know it, you used to pray. And you know what? That's who I used to be. How'd you get down here? How in the world did I get to this place in my life? Because you know what? It started with a little area of compromise of going, you know what? God doesn't have to be that important. He understands, and I need to be somewhat important as well. I need to think of my mental health, my physical health, my me, 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 me monster, right? It's amazing. And we justify our behaviors, and we deny the very things that we should be all about. Because when we stand before the Lord, He's not going to say, man, how was your physical health? How was your career? Mm. How dynamic were you? How many followers did you have? No. What did you do for me? I put you on the earth to make a difference. How many people are here because of you? How many lives did you impact? How many broken people did you help restore through your stories of brokenness when you finally surrendered and gave yourself back to God? Man, God doesn't waste pain, and He doesn't want to waste ours. And we waste so much of it because we spend all this time trying to distract ourselves from our pain instead of embracing it and letting God heal us. And then when God heals us, we take that pain and we help somebody else. And then we do something that's eternal, that'll matter. That we'll stand before the Lord and we'll say, you know what, I'm so glad I gave myself. I'm so glad I served. And, you know, I was tired a lot of times, but you know what? Now I get to rest. <laughs> I'm in the glory of the Lord with a, with a body that's perfect that doesn't get tired. Man, that time is coming. And as we look at the world around us, even as we speak, if you're a Christian, man, I'm telling you, the rapture could be today. Yes. The Bible says we can tell by the signs of the times, the days and the seasons. And man, you've never seen the world so messed up as it is today. And what's going on in Israel right now? The place, the center point of every event in this Bible is Israel, Jerusalem, and right now it is under attack as we speak. And the Bible says you'll hear wars and rumors of wars, and He will come. So if you're not a Christian, you need to get about it. Because you know what? The thing that's so sad is this, this prophecy that, that Paul gives in 2 Timothy. When he says this, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And our culture has never been more obsessed with pleasure ever before. It is what most people live for. I don't need God. I need a new car. I don't need God. I need a new vacation. I don't need a God. I don't need God. I need a new spouse. I don't need God. I need this. I need this. I need this. I need some type of pleasure to fulfill my heart because I know it's not God because I've been educated out of that stupidity, that dependence, that weakness. The devil's a liar. 
He's a liar, and he uses our flesh to draw, away, draw us away from God. And so as we look at the message today, it begs us that question. Whose servant are you? Only you get to determine who you serve. Decide. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I know today may have been difficult for some. And Lord, I'm sorry for that. But Lord, I'm not sorry for what you gave us. Lord, I know that uh, so many times, you know, they tell us that the Bible is for reproof. It's for rebuke. And Lord, it's for instruction and righteousness. That's the purpose of preaching. And God, I pray that there were some maybe today that heard, you know, it's time to stop what I'm doing. This is why I need to stop. And then, boy, that instruction and righteousness, this is how I need to live. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, if there'd just be only one here or listen to this recorded or, or joining us online that comes to the realization that their flesh is in charge and it need not be. God, if there's a Christian, Lord, who's, who's surrendered themselves to the desires of the flesh, God, may they see it for what it is and turn their heart back to you. And Father, I pray for those that maybe have never heard the truth. Maybe, maybe they believe they're, they're a child of God, but they're not really. They've never had a moment in their time in their life when they've come to the realization that they're, they're a sinner, that they're lost. Maybe they've trusted in religion, a prayer they said as a child, but they've never really fully given you their heart. And if there's one here today, one listening recorded, and they just say, you know what, I don't know. If Jesus was standing in front of me right now and he asked me, looking me right in my eyes, and he said, are you mine? There'd be some people that maybe say, I hope so, but not say they know so. And the beautiful thing is he's ready to receive any and all. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. So if you're here today, you're listening to this recording, you want to receive Christ as your Savior. You know in your heart of hearts you don't have him, but you want him. He loves you right where you are. and He's already paved the way for you to come to him. And as he reaches out to you with his loving, loving heart, all you have to do is receive him by faith. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. It's not, there's no magic in this prayer. There's no ceremony involved. This is your heart speaking to God. If you're sincere, he'll hear you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, that you loved me and that you paid the price for my sin through your death, burial, and resurrection. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin, and to save my soul. Lord, I give you my heart, my life, my all. Help me live for you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bad, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you were sincere, you meant business with God, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand and I will not call you out or, 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 or say anything to you, but I do want to pray for you specifically. If you were online, you heard this recorded, send us a note, please, because we want to pray for you. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, for your truth, for your word. And I do pray that you'd help us to evaluate who it is we are serving. Help us, Lord, to have a heart that's sold out to the things of God, focused on eternity and not so consumed with the short-term pleasures of this world. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk with you, to serve you, and Lord, help let you live through us. 
Lord, you tell us it's our reasonable service. Give yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God, this is what you ask of us. And Lord, I do pray that you help each one of us as we leave this place to be focused on that truth. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of today. In Jesus' name, amen.